Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. While you're turning there, last week in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 7 through 14, we saw that when we let Jesus fill our hearts and change our hearts, and when we shine with Jesus' glory to lost people, people who aren't saved, God says he will save many people through us. As through our words and our actions, we shine with Jesus' glory, God will save many people. That's verses 7 through 14. So what I want to ask this morning is, how are we doing? How's it been this last week in terms of letting the glory of Jesus shine from us through our words and through our actions? How's it been going? How's it been at your workplace this last week? How's it been with people in your neighborhood this last week? How's it been with, with circles of friends who don't know the Lord? How's it been going? We don't just want to be hearers of the word, like James says. We want to be doers of the word, right? So how are we doing? Now, Wednesday night, Alex and I had the joy of going to visit Gerald at the hospital. And as we were uh, there, we had a chance to meet a security guard. And we asked him like, what country he was from, and he shared he's from Uganda, we asked how many years he'd been here. He said he'd been here for three years. We asked his name. He shared with us his name and uh, just had a chance to get to know him some. We, we told him we're followers of Jesus and we're here to visit Gerald and he knew, he knew Gerald was there and we're here to visit Gerald because we love Gerald. He's part of our church body. We want to encourage him in trusting Jesus. So Alex and I, we're just trying to let, our, just to let the light of glory of Jesus shine, you know, and, and, and then we had to wrap up the conversation Security guard had to get back to work. But we, we could just sense that, that through that conversation, his heart was touched. His heart was stirred. He, he heard about Jesus. He heard about love. He, he already knew about Gerald and had seen Jesus' love in Gerald. So we were seeking to let our light shine. And that's what Paul was talking about in last week's passage, Ephesians 5, 7 through 14. And this week, Paul continues the same theme, the same theme, that as we, as we let our light shine, Jesus will save people around us. And so because of that, Paul then writes verses 15 through 21. Look at what he says. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, next week, singing, okay? And making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything, just like Donna urged us to this morning, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now notice in verses 15 and 16, Paul calls us to make the best use of our time. But to understand what he means by that, like, so Paul, what is the best use of our time? What should we be devoting our time to? To understand what Paul's saying, we have to ask why? Why should we make the best use of our time? And as I asked that question, I looked at verses 15, 16, and 17, I saw three reasons why 
we should make the best use of our time. And the first reason is because God will use our time to bring unbelievers to faith. Now, here's why I say this. In verse 15, notice that word then in verse 15. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, Paul says, look carefully then how you walk. Now, that word then is also, it has the meaning therefore. And so Paul is saying, therefore, make the best of your time, verses 15 and 16. Well, now, if I say to you, therefore, make the best of your time, that means I've just given you a reason for why you should make the best use of your time. And so that reason is found in verses 7 through 14. So here's the, here's the picture. Not that one. We'll come to that one soon. That one, there we go. So verses 7 through 14, as we show Jesus to lost people, God will save many. We saw that last week. So verse 15, therefore, make the most of your time by reaching out to lost people. So that's the first reason why we should make the most of our time. It's because God will use our time to bring unbelievers to faith. The reason is in verses 7 through 14, and we know that Paul's referring to that because of the word then or therefore in verse 15. Does that make sense? I just have to tell you, I'd never noticed that word then before. This last week, it's like, what's that word then? It's the word therefore. Well, that means the reasons before. So Paul's not just saying, hey, use your time wisely in general. He's being much more specific. Use your time wisely in pouring your life out to reach lost people and showing Jesus to them. So that's the first reason. God will use our time to bring unbelievers to faith. So think about it. If God says to you, as you spend time with lost people, loving them, showing Jesus to them with your words, and uh, sharing Jesus in the way you live and what you say, I will save people, God says. Not everyone, but I will save many. You will see amazing things happen. Think, if that can be the result of my time use, I want to give a, a chunk of my time to reaching lost people. Here's the illustration I thought of. Let's say that you are out in Swayhan Desert, and you discovered a place out there where after a little bit of digging, you found diamonds. I mean, every, it took, took some digging, but every time you dig, it's like, and not just little diamonds, like 50 carat diamonds, 100 carat diamonds. Okay, so you know this place out in the desert takes some digging, but whenever you dig, you come back like with diamonds. Now, would you ever have a Saturday afternoon where you said, I've just got nothing to do today. I'm bored. What should I do? Would you ever say that, knowing what could be happening out in Swayhan Desert if you're out there digging? You would never say that. Does that make sense? Okay, now God has told us that if we will spend time with people who don't know Christ and speak of Christ to them with our words and show Jesus to them in our actions, he will save people. Again, not, not everybody, but he will save. You will see people saved. That's thousands of times more valuable than 100 carat diamonds, right? So if that's true, how could we ever be sitting home on a Saturday saying, I'm bored, I have nothing to do, nothing worth doing? Do you see how foolish that is? So my encouragement to you is understand what could happen as you invest time with neighbors who don't know Christ, work associates who don't know Christ, friends who don't know Christ, loving them, serving them, sharing the gospel with them, doing all you can to show Jesus with them, that will bring what's 
thousands of times more valuable than 100 carat diamonds because you will see God touch people's hearts who aren't saved and brought to faith. That's Paul's first reason. We should use our time wisely, make the best use because God will use our time to bring unbelievers to faith. Second reason, it's because the days are evil. End of verse 16. Making the best use of the time because, here's another reason, the days are evil. Now what does that mean? Well, there's real evil in the world. The world has evil in it, and lost people are enslaved to evil. Satan has them as his captives, the scriptures teach us. Now, the good news is that Jesus Christ came to set captives free, and he died on the cross to pay for the sins of all who would trust him and to free from the power of sin all who would trust him. So Jesus has come to set the lost free, but he wants to wake us up thinking, they're lost, I've died on the cross, I've risen from the dead, now I'm calling you to go and speak the word because just as a brother shared this morning, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So as we speak the good news of the gospel, chains will fall off lost people, hearts will be set free, Unbelievers will be transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son. So we need to wake up and think, the days are evil. I have the answer. I have the key in Jesus Christ. Let's reach out and meet people and love people and care for people, and we'll see captives set free. Here's the illustration I thought of. Let's say that you're, you're enjoying a picnic lunch on a bluff up above. There's a beach down there, and you're up on this lunch and a picnic lunch. You're enjoying the amazing views of the ocean and mountains all around you, and you're just relaxing because, I mean, there's nothing evil going around, right? Everything's fine, just relaxing. But what if all of a sudden on the radio you hear that there's been a massive earthquake just offshore and a huge tsunami is coming? And you look out there and you can see there is a massive tsunami building. It's coming, and all these hundreds of people on the beach below you, they're going to be drowned and destroyed. All of a sudden, it's like the days are evil. There's something evil coming. This evil tsunami is coming, and you can do something to help those people be warned so they can get up to higher ground. And so would you just sit there then and enjoy your picnic lunch, you know, and enjoy the views? No! You would not do that. You would, as quickly as you can, make the best of your time, run down, warn the people, get them up onto the higher ground. That's Paul's point. People in your neighborhood today are in chains of sin and evil because of Satan, because of their sin. People at your workplace, you can't see them, but they are in bondage to the evil one. They are captives of the evil one. There's evil around, folks. We need to see that more clearly, wake up to that, and understand we have the key in the name of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we speak the truth of Jesus, the Holy Spirit will come, chains will break off, captives will be set free. That's the second reason. Days are evil. Third reason. This is the will of the Lord. Look at verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So what is the will of the Lord? Paul has told us back in verses 7 through 14. I mean, we could say there's, there's lots of aspects of God's will, but the one he's just mentioned in verses 7 through 14 is God's will is that we would shine with the light of Jesus in Abu Dhabi. We would shine with the light of Jesus Christ. People would see Jesus' beauty in our lives and hear the gospel of Jesus in our words. That's the will of 
God. And so I just try to think about how to describe this. Think about who God is. There is a God, first of all. You're not just here to, to live your will. There's a bigger will that you need to be taking into account, God's will. And God has showed you how loving he is. He has sent his son to die on the cross to pay for your sins, to set you free. By faith alone, in Christ alone, you've been set free from your guilt and from sin's power. You're born again, and now God stands before you and he says, now, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. That's my will for you. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Now we can wonder, you know, what is God's will for me? And usually when we ask that, we're thinking about like what vocation or what career, those are good questions to ask. But in the big picture, we know exactly what God's will is for us. Go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. He's told us what his will is. So simple question, are you in the will of God? Are you in the will of God? Now, that's not all of God's will. He wants husbands. He wants you to care for your wife, care for your children, right? He wants you to work hard at your job. Wives, he wants you to care for your children, your husband. He wants you, single folks, care for your friends, love your brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, pursue what God's called you to do at your workplace. There's other parts of his job, but don't neglect this part, which is what Paul's emphasizing here. Understand what the will of the Lord is. The God of the universe has saved you and he has told you his will. All authority has been given to Jesus. Now, because of that, go and make disciples of all the peoples. Are you going? Are you reaching out with love and prayer and words of the gospel? So that's Paul's third reason because this is the will of the Lord. So now, let's read verses 15 through 17 again to get this first section of this passage. Paul says, look carefully then, or look carefully therefore, because of verses 7 through 14, God will save people through you, so look carefully therefore how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. That is, focusing on lost people, loving lost people, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So that's what Paul's calling us to do. Make the best use of your time, in this context, focusing on lost people. But now, Paul knows there's something we need in order to do this. What is that? What do we need? Look at what Paul says in verse 18. He says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So there's something we must not do, and there's something we must do. What we must not do is get drunk with wine. And the reason we must not do it, it's debauchery. Now, what debauchery means, it's not a word we use a lot, it means we, we stop thinking as clearly. We stop being as, as aware of what's really going on. Our, our senses, our thinking is dulled. That's what alcohol does. And when you get drunk, you can lose any sense that God can work through you to show Jesus glory. Especially if you're drunk, it's going to be a little hard to have that happen, right? But we lose sight of what God can do. We lose sight of what God's will is. We lose sight of the fact that the days are evil. And so, so don't get drunk. I mean, we could talk about that. Alcohol is a huge temptation for people. I'm sure some of you have battled that fiercely. Again, the scriptures command us not to get drunk. So take heed to that. But the point of him saying that is because he wants us to understand what we should do. And what we should do is be filled with the Spirit. Okay? 
What does that mean? To be filled with the Spirit. Now, we're all from different backgrounds here. I would guess some of you might be from church backgrounds where to be Spirit-filled meant to speak in tongues, that the people who spoke in tongues were the people who were filled with the Spirit. But that's not what the Scriptures teach, in my opinion. Um, we're all for speaking in tongues. We believe that the gifts of the Spirit are still in operation in the church. We want to pursue the gifts of the Spirit. But being filled with the Spirit is different than speaking in tongues. Those aren't the same thing. Somebody can never speak in tongues and be just as filled with the Spirit as somebody who does, or even more filled with the Spirit than someone who speaks in tongues. So let's separate those out. Okay, We're for both of them, but let's focus on what it means to be filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? I think Paul tells us in chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. I want to read these verses, and I want you to notice he mentions the Holy Spirit, and he mentions being filled, and I think he tells us what that means. Start with verse 16. Paul's praying for the believers at Ephesus. He would pray this for us as well. And he prays that according to the riches of his, God's glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit, so here's the spirit working, in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So Christ's indwelling you. You're sensing his presence. He's changing your heart. He's filling you. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And he explains what that means. That you being rooted and grounded in love. Your, your roots are sinking deep in Christ's love for you. You're built upon Christ's love for you. The unchanging, rock-solid foundation of your life. So that verse 18, you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the, the breadth and the length and the height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be, here's that word, filled with all the fullness of God. So I put those verses together and one way of describing being filled with the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit helps you to understand the love of Christ with your mind. You're reading the scriptures and you're understanding the love of Christ. You're learning about the love of Christ. Genesis through Revelation, all about the love of Christ. So the Holy Spirit helps you understand the truth of Christ's love. And then the Holy Spirit helps you feel the truth of Christ's love. You understand it, and as you pray over it, you feel it. You behold the beauty of Christ's love. You experience the reality of Christ's love. You don't just know that he does love, but you're feeling his very love for you. You're knowing the truth of Christ's love and feeling the reality of Christ's love. That's being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now let me tell you how Sarah Edwards experienced being filled with the Spirit. Sarah Edwards, you're saying, who is Sarah Edwards? Sarah Edwards lived in the early 1700s in America. Her husband was Jonathan Edwards. Some of you may have heard of him. Pastor, missionary to the American Indians, amazing Bible scholar, theologian, author. His books are still being published today. I would encourage you to read Jonathan Edwards. I love reading Jonathan Edwards. But this is about his wife, Sarah. Godly, amazing woman. And one afternoon, she wanted to get away and just pray by herself. And so she went away with her Bible and she opened up and spent time reading and studying and praying over the last half of Romans chapter 8, which talks about how it's about Christ's love, about how nothing can separate us from Christ's love. Read that passage if you're not familiar with it. But as she prayed and studied, God visited her in an unusual way. 
She was filled with the Spirit. Here's what she said happened. She said, these words, speaking of the last half of Romans 8, these words appeared to me with undoubted certainty as the words of God and as words which God did pronounce concerning me, melted and overcome by the sweetness of this assurance, I fell into a great flow of tears and could not stop weeping aloud. It seemed certain to me that God was my Father and Christ my Lord and Savior, that he was mine and I his. The presence of God was so near and so real that I was scarcely conscious of anything else. Wow. Now that's a powerful description of being filled with the Spirit. And that's not what we're going to experience all the time. And that's not what Sarah Edwards experienced all the time. But I wanted to share a dramatic description of being filled with the Spirit because I think some of us need to have our expectations raised about what God can do in our hearts when we open up the Bible and start to pray. But I'm quite certain some of you I think this is from the Lord. Some of you have been dry for a while and you've let that dry spell lower your expectations and you just think, well, this is just going to be it. And I want to tell you, God can break in on your life and change things just like that. You've experienced this. Hosea 6.3, let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn. He will come to us like the spring rains watering the earth. It's a promise. Press in. Don't let dry days or weeks or months, don't let lengthy period of time of not sensing much filling, lower your expectations for what God could do. Raise your expectations with Ephesians chapter 3 and this testimony from Sarah Edwards. And we're commanded be filled with the Spirit. Now, he wouldn't command that if he wasn't going to do it when we seek him, right? Grace Church, we're here in Abu Dhabi. Grace Church desperately needs believers who are obeying this command of Paul to be filled with the Spirit. So let this just ring in your ears and hearts. The Apostle Paul is saying, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Get time, carve out time in our busy schedules to open up the word, to pray, and God's going to work. Now, in these next verses then, what Paul does is he gives us why it's so important to be filled with the Spirit, and he spells out three results. There's three things that'll happen, and these will all help us to shine with Jesus' glory to lost people, and God will work in their hearts and bring people to faith. So three things will happen. First, we will sing praise to God from the heart, right there in verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we will praise Jesus Christ. We will love him. We will sing adoration, and we will be in awe of him, and we will delight in him. And that will show lost people. As we're here Friday mornings, now that Ramadan is going to be over soon, and we are singing praise to God, even if you don't bring a friend with you who doesn't know the Lord, 
Your being here and worshiping Jesus Christ and loving him and delighting in him could be what God uses to touch your friend's friend who doesn't know the Lord. You see how that works? We're all together here. You being here worshiping, even if your friend who doesn't know the Lord couldn't come, you being here worshiping Jesus Christ humbly, joyfully, passionately, with adoration and delight in him, that could be what's used by God to bring your friend's unbelieving friend to faith. Now, let me share about how I experienced this way back in San Jose, uh, California. When we first planted our church there, it was just high school kids at the beginning, about 20 high school kids. And they all met at our house on Monday nights. And we just worshiped the Lord for the first, I don't know, 30 plus minutes with the guitar and singing. And God was just moving on this group of high schoolers. I mean, they loved Jesus Christ. When they had spare Friday night off of work or something, hey, let's go over to Raj's house. We're going to worship. Okay, let's go. They just, just, they loved the Lord. And I mean, some of them would just be sitting, worshiping sometimes with tears coming down their faces. Others would be standing, raising their hands. Some would be kneeling or bowing. It was just adoration of Jesus Christ. And I remember a 16-year-old girl who walked in. She already knew the Lord. Okay, but she walked in and she just had never seen people, high schoolers, her peers. I mean, some of these are really popular people and there's athletes and then there's nerds and just the whole, the whole mix, okay, but just worshiping the Lord together. And she, she just said later, it showed me more of who Jesus Christ was and it just drew me even closer to Jesus Christ. And see, when we're filled with the Spirit and we worship Christ, people will see his glory and people will be saved because of worshiping together. So yes, the main reason we're worshiping is because we love the Lord. But oh, there's ripple effects that can come from that. As you're here Friday morning, worshiping Christ. So by the way, Friday mornings, don't wake up and say, what should we do this morning, hon? Should we go? Should we not go? No, just, just something you do. God's people are gathering. And even if you don't have a friend you're bringing with you, as you're here worshiping, your love for Christ can touch other people's lives. That's the first result. Second result, we will always give thanks to God for everything. This is amazing. Verse 20, giving thanks always. Underline that word in your Bibles. And for everything, underline that word in your Bibles. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you're filled with the Spirit and you know Jesus' love for you, you know the breadth of it, and the length of it, and the height of it, and the depth of it, when you know the the biblical truths of Jesus' love for you, and then when the Holy Spirit takes those truths and you feel their beauty, you sense their reality, their certainty, you are filled. And when trials come, and trials are not normally the things that we thank God for, right? But we know God's sovereign. This is ultimately from his hands, When trials come, we thank him, maybe with tears thanking him, but we thank him, why? Because we know that every trial is a gift from God of more nearness to him. And if we have him, then we have everything. And so maybe it's with tears sometimes. That can be holy. Tears can be beautiful, right? In the Lord. But we will give thanks always and for everything. But now let me just challenge you. What would happen at your workplace this week if you thanked God always for everything? Okay, everything. Everything. 
What would happen at your workplace or in your neighborhood if you were thanking God always for everything? Or with your circle of friends, people will see Jesus in that. They will see Jesus must be in control. Jesus must be satisfying this person. Jesus must be filling this person even if this is going wrong at work or this is going wrong in the neighborhood. Jesus' reality will be seen in your thankfulness. That's the second result. Third result, we will submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So when we're filled with the Spirit, our hearts will be filled. We love Jesus. Jesus submitted his life to the cross, and Jesus calls us to lay our lives down for each other. And so as we believers love each other the way Christ loved us. So I just love the brothers who've been going to visit Gerald this last week, just laying their lives down for our brother. It's so encouraging to go visit him. But let me just, lots of ways we serve. I mean, there's, there's cars being offered. There's babysitting going on. There's rides being given, right? There's just times talking and listening as someone's weeping before you. But Church, as we love each other with Christ's love, as we submit to each other, as we put each other first in our homes, so husbands, put your wife first. Wife, put your husband first. Parents, put your children before yourself. Children, put your parents before you. As we do that with our friends, you put your friends first. You serve them, you love them, you care for them. As we do that in the body of Christ, that's gonna display Jesus to lost people. Jesus said, they'll know you're Christians by your love, right? And that's the third result of what will happen when we're filled with the Spirit. Okay, now, let's put this whole passage together. Last week, verses 7 through 14, as we show Jesus' glory through our words and through our lives, God will save many people. Therefore, make the best use of your time because God will work as you devote your time to sharing the gospel Loving lost people, God will save people. The days are evil, it's urgent. Do all you can to see them saved and understand what the will of the Lord is. He's called us to go and make disciples. So make the best use of your time. Carve out time for this and seek being filled with the Spirit because this is what's gonna show Jesus' glory through you. And as you do that, you'll be worshiping and they'll see Jesus in your worship. You'll be thanking, they'll see Jesus in your thanking and you'll be loving, submitting. They'll see Jesus in your loving and submitting. Now, let me give you one last illustration of how this happened in the life of a woman in the U.S. in the late 1990s. Her name is Rosario Butterfield. Some of you have heard her name. A very unlikely convert to Christianity. Rosario Butterfield was a lesbian living with her woman partner, girlfriend. Ultra-feminist, left, left, left wing, English professor at a university and just pushing the agenda, the the gay agenda. That was her, her thing. She was passionate about this. She was pushing this. This was her life. And she wrote an editorial in the local newspaper, again, pushing her viewpoints. A pastor in her city read this editorial and maybe he'd been thinking about Ephesians 5. How can I reach lost people? What can I do? And he thought, probably the Lord brought the thought into his mind, why don't you write an answer to this editorial? So send her an email answering, giving another alternative. And so he took the time. Remember, he's making the best use of his time here. He wrote an, an answer to her, just privately emailed it to her. It was very respectful. 
and yet it asked some probing questions of her. And so she'd wrote the, written that editorial, had gotten lots of feedback, some very positive, some very hostile and negative. And she said she was piling up the positives on this side and the negatives on this side, and she got this answer from this pastor and she couldn't figure out which stack to put it in. It was clear that he disagreed with her, but he was so gracious and respectful. And she just put it in the middle. She tried to put it in the trash can. She kept pulling it back out again. The questions were haunting her. And finally, she wrote him a response, tried to answer his questions, emailed him back. He emailed her back, respectful, kind, taking the questions a little deeper, responding to her questions. She emailed him back. He emailed her back. I don't know how many times we went back and forth. Probably he and his wife were talking and praying, and they said, let's invite her over for dinner. So they did in an email. Now, can you imagine a lesbian, ultra-feminist, pro-LGBTQ, you know, pushing the whole agenda, being invited to the home of a pastor and his wife? And she, she said, yes, she would, she would go. And she went to their home for dinner. So do you see what they're doing? They're making the best use of their time. They're loving her. They're caring for her. And, I mean, she, it was very awkward at first, but they just, tell me your story. Tell us your story. Tell us about yourself. Asking questions. They talked. They shared. It was clear that they had different opinions, but they respected each other. They were able to talk about them. She left very intrigued. And they invited her for dinner again. She came again. And again. And again. They were sharing the scripture in their conversations as they talked about why they believe what they did. Finally, they started studying the Bible together. And over months of love and prayer and time and dinners and conversation and coffee and dessert and more love and more prayer and more scripture, she came to faith in Christ. 1999, I believe, was the date. And today she's married to a pastor, has a bunch of kids. She's homeschooling them. She's writing Christian books. Amazing story. Rosario Butterfield. The title of the book is Confessions of an Unlikely Convert or something like that. Kindle, it's on Kindle, check it out. Really good book. But do you see, we are living in a place where there's lots of people that we think are unlikely converts. Right? Lots of people we think, they're never going to meet the Lord. That is a lie from the evil one. There is no unlikely convert. How likely was Paul to be a convert? Not very. And yet he was. How likely was Rosario Butterfield to be a convert? Not very. We live in a place surrounded by people who we think probably would never be saved. That is a complete lie. So I want to challenge you. Are you investing time in reaching out with friendship, inviting out for coffee, having over for dinner, someone who doesn't know the Lord? If you have no idea how you would do that or who you'd start with, pray and ask Jesus to show you, and I guarantee you he will. He has an answer for that. He has at least one person for each of us here to be reaching out to, to be connecting with, to be loving. And as we then take time in the scriptures and prayer, fill me with your spirit. Help me to give thanks in all things. Help me to love my brothers and sisters. Help me to worship. Help me to show your glory in my words and my actions. We will see, Grace Church, a harvest of people brought to faith in Christ in these next months. Because God has said he would. 
He will save. We will see it. We are seeing it. We're going to see it much, much more. But my challenge is make the best use of your time. God will use your time. You'll be digging up something that's thousands of times more valuable than 100 carat diamonds. The days are evil, and this is the will of the Lord for you. Let's stand together. I want to pray this over us. God, I pray that you would take this passage and work it deep into our hearts right now. I pray that you would just slice right through excuses or rationalizations or doubts. We're not too busy. You will show us where to put that time in. We're not not spiritual enough. You will fill us and help us. If we think we don't know anybody, you will help us know someone. You'll bring someone across our paths. So Lord, I pray that we would all be fully surrendered to you right now here at Grace Church, saying, Lord, we want this. We don't feel capable of it. We don't feel strong enough for it, but we want this. We would be thrilled to see you use us to lead someone to salvation. So Lord, we just surrender to you and say, lead us, guide us, help us, work through us, we pray. For the glory of Jesus, we ask this in Jesus' name.